Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Good morning, saints. Yes, it is in the a.m. I'm sorry that I released the final episode of 2 Samuel late yesterday evening, but I still shared it. Thank you, Lord. Now, today, we are embarking on a new series. I don't know how long the series will be. It's not going to be that long. I was undecided on yesterday between the letter Paul wrote to the Romans and the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So I decided to share the letter Paul wrote to the Romans. Yes, this is very important. Very important. I will give a brief introduction about the letter Paul wrote to the Romans to give you a clear understanding of the importance of this letter. Paul wrote the letter back in AD 56. Now the theme of his letter is the righteousness of God in the good news of Christ. Now we will talk about key words in this letter, which is righteousness, faith, justification, law, and grace. Now when Paul wrote Romans about AD 56, he had not yet been to Rome. No, he had not visited Rome yet, but he had been preaching the good news since his conversion in A.D. 35. During the previous 10 years, he had founded churches throughout the Mediterranean world. Now he was nearing the end of his third missionary journey. This epistle is therefore a mature statement of his understanding of the good news the church at Rome had been founded by other Christians. Their names are unknown, but you can read Acts chapter 2 verse 10. And Paul, through his travels, knew many of the believers there. Paul most likely wrote Romans while he was in Corinth in AD 56, taking a collection to help the needy Christians in Jerusalem. And I have not ceased to share this with you. Every collection that is taken up in the church today or in your congregation is supposed to be for needy Christians. I don't care what your denomination twisted it to be, but every collection taken up is supposed to be for needy Christians. Okay. He planned to go to Jerusalem with this collection, then visit the church in Rome. After being refreshed and supported by the Christians in Rome, he planned to travel to Spain to preach the good news there. He wrote to tell the Romans of his impending visit. The letter was likely delivered by Phoebe. We will get there. Chapter 16, verse one and two. So with that said, I am reading from the NIV, the new international version. You may have a different version. That's quite all right with me because in the end, we will be in the same place. You just may have some different wordings in your Bible. Okay. So are you in Romans chapter one? I am beginning at verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Verse two, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy scriptures. Verse three, 
regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, verse 4, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 5, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Gentiles, and I've mentioned this before, I think through all of my episodes, no matter what I was teaching. Gentiles are anyone who is not a Jew. You and I are Gentiles or either Greeks. Okay. Jews are Jews and we are Gentiles. All right. Verse six. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse seven. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is Paul's famous introduction to all of his letters. That's how I know he did not write the book of Hebrews unless they lost the introduction letter. Other than that, another apostle wrote it and just didn't introduce himself. Now, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Verse 9, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you, verse 10, in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Don't forget, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, to us. He is our apostle. Verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. Verse 15, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Verse 16, excuse me, <clears throat> verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Or you may have a version that says the just shall live by faith. That is what righteousness is. Just. Okay. Just is righteousness. Now the righteousness that Paul is talking about is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans is very deep, so I need you to listen carefully, and that is why I am going to slow down reading. You guys know, naturally, I talk fast and I read fast, so I have to force myself to slow down because these are some very important scriptures, okay? Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Saints, this is talking about you see 
the clouds in the sky. You see rain when it comes down. You see trees. You see stars. You see the moon. You know man didn't make it. So you don't have an excuse not to believe that God exists. That is what this is talking about. Verse 21. For although they knew God, not really knowing him, but they know God exists. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Paul is talking to do two different sets of people. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who had converted over Jews from Judaism to Christianity and Gentiles from their pagan worship to Christianity. Okay. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and, and reptiles. That's what Gentiles did. They worshiped, um, images of animals and birds and they created statues and they worshiped statues and they were involved in some horrible things. And even God saved them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies. That is what Gentiles were involved in. That was a part of their pagan worship. They were involved in wife swapping. The men were involved in sleeping with men. The, uh, the women were involved with sleeping with each other. They were involved in group sex. Yes, all of that was a part of their pagan worship, sending them straight to hell. Verse 24 again, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, Paul is talking about people worshiping the creation, such as trees, such as the moon, such as the stars. We have religions today uh, centered around God's creation but not the creator, not God. And that is what the dangers of being involved in idolatry is. Okay. If you are worshiping things, you ain't worshiping the true and living God. And I'm not talking about things created by the hands of man. Man may have been given talent to do certain things, but what man creates, man creates. What God creates, man can't duplicate. Man can't duplicate the stars and the moons and Saturn of the planets. Man can't duplicate that. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now, what Paul is talking about is the sexual immorality that pagan worshipers were involved in. They received really a penalty or a judgment or condemnation in that sin itself. That's where sexually transmitted diseases come from, being involved in sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. I know this is hard for some of you to hear, but it gets better. You need to hear this because if you want to know the truth, you need to hear it. Okay. Remember, you have to remember they changed the truth of God into a lie. Telling people God is accepting this. That was in their pagan worship. God is involved in this. God is, is this is our God. Well, here's the thing. You are worshiping something that can't help you. You are worshiping something. This is in pagan worship that cannot and, and cannot build a heavenly place for you to live in. And when you pass away, they cannot send you to heaven.
Yeah, you need to listen and meditate on these scriptures. Receive the truth with an open mind so that you can receive it in your heart. Mm -hmm. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. In your version, it may say to a reprobate mind. It, it, it means the same thing. So that they do what ought not to be done. God just said, I'm turning you over. I'm cutting you off. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, greed for money and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, verse 30, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, verse 31. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do those or do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. If you are not involved in these things I just mentioned, but you approve of them, you are no different. You are no different. You have to remember, these are a description of a society totally rebelling against God. That's what this is. The deep irrational nature of sin is seen in the fact that even hardened sinners still know in their hearts that their actions deserve death. Nevertheless, they go on sinning and even drag others down with them when they approve of those who do the same things. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, I want you guys to let that sink in before we go into chapter two. This is what we seen when we seen a bunch of thugs go to the Capitol and try to overthrow it at the orders of the outgoing president. And y'all support him. Everything Trump did was evil. Everything he did. He doesn't know God. We just read this greedy for money. He worshiped money, been breaking the law since he became president. Ignored the oath that he took to support the Constitution and defended it. It's instead he broke the Constitution. And you need to hear it because there are still people who claim to be Christians that supporting Trump. So what you don't understand is who God is. That's what the problem is. But the good news is you can be delivered from that demonic state of mind. You can be delivered from that. You need to know the difference between right and wrong. You need to know the difference between good and evil because you lost your way. God may have given you over to a depraved mind. That is what you need to be paying attention to. Let's hope that's not true. Okay that you have not been given over to a deprived mind or a depraved mind because that means God has cut you off. So let's go into chapter two. I'm reading at verse one. It gets better. Okay, we're going to now read about God's righteous judgment. You, therefore, have no excuse. You have no excuse not to believe in God. You have no excuse not to know the difference between right and wrong. Because your consciousness tells you what you're doing is wrong. You even know, even if you don't know the difference, your consciousness is going to tell you. You are just ignoring that feeling deep inside when you do something wrong. Verse one again, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Now right here, because a lot of people misunderstand this. Paul is talking to Jews who are judging the Gentiles who converted over to Christianity. Okay. The Jews who follow the law, we're getting ready to get very deep here and I need you to listen closely. Let me read it first. Okay. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Verse two. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God's judgment is based on truth. Verse three. So when you, a mere human being, 
pass judgment on them and yet do the same things. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? So right here, Paul is talking to Jews who were followers of the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. Okay. So it's going to become clear as we continue to read verse four, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Talking about God forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's why we preach the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. That's the kindness of God. That's the grace of God. God's grace is Christ. You have the forgiveness of sins through Christ. And these Jews who had converted over to Christianity were not teaching this to the Gentiles. They were condemning them of their past sins. Okay. But Paul is saying, well, wait a minute, do you practice the same things? Just because the laws were given to you by Moses doesn't mean you can judge them because both of y'all are going to be judged by the same God. That Listen, now it's going to come together. Verse five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. You are storing, storing it up when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse six. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Verse seven, to those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Verse eight, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. You need to know what's good and evil. Okay. Verse nine, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Now, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? The phrase, according to what they have done, does not contradict the gospel of salvation as a free gift that cannot be earned. This verse summarizes what will actually happen. Unbelievers will be judged for their sins and believers who have been freely forgiven of their sins because of Christ's work, the work he did on the cross, and they believe it will be given degrees of reward in heaven according to their actions in this life. Now, although the phrase doing good describes Christians, their salvation was not granted because they did good works. And but because they trusted in Christ who earned eternal life for them. See, you got to understand this thing is all about Jesus. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. This thing is all about Jesus. So the end of verse 11, when it says, for God does not show favoritism, that's what he mean. He doesn't show favoritism, whether you are a Jew who was practicing the law, the Mosaic law, or to a Gentile who never knew the law, was not under the Mosaic law, but practicing paganism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have to come to Christ and you will be judged by your works in Christ, but not for condemnation. Hallelujah. That's the good news. That's the good news. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. I just got through telling you there was a distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were trying to create a distinction between them. But Paul is saying it doesn't matter if both of y'all have accepted Christ, you're both going to be judged. Whether you are um, under the law or whether you are apart from the law. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. He's not talking about uh, the Jews under the Mosaic law will be declared righteous. What he is saying is let me keep reading because it's going to become clear. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Um, let me read 13 again for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, 
but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 14, indeed, when Gentiles who did not have the law, I keep telling you people in America, Gentiles who are not Jews never had the law. The law was never given to Gentiles. It was only given to the children of Israel. Okay. Uh, Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things requ required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they, they do not have the law. What he's saying is they still know the difference between right and wrong. Cause that's what the law is for. The law told you what you did, what you were doing was wrong. It tells you the difference between right and wrong. Okay. Verse 15, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times, even defending them. And I just explained that to you, even though Gentiles were not given the law, they were not under the Mosaic law. They still knew the difference between right and wrong. And so do you. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Verse 17, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, verse 18, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, verse 19, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, Paul is asking them a question. Follow the question, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish a teacher of little children, because you have in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Listen to verse 21 carefully. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preached, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? Verse 22, you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You who are trying to impute righteousness on the Gentiles by accusing them of breaking the law, but you forgot you break the law. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law. Now, circumcision was given to Abraham under the uh, Abrahamic law. The Jews who were circumcised, whenever they mention circumcision, they are talking about Jews. Now, this uh, I'm going to try to explain this to you. Let me slow down so that you can get a clear understanding between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. That's who we are, the uncircumcised. Okay, verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. So what Paul is saying, you being under the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, it had value if you observed the law, but you breaking the law. None of them could keep the law. Okay, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Verse 26, so then if those who are not circumcised, talking about the Jews, keep the law's requirements, will they not be re regarded as though they were circumcised? Verse 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. I just explained it to you. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Verse 29, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So true Judaism is found in those who are righteous before God, whether or not they have Jewish parents or the physical sign of circumcision. That is what Paul is talking about. Now let's go into um, chapter three. 
we're getting ready to talk about God's faithfulness. Now, verse one, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Verse two, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the with the very words of God talking about the scriptures. Verse three, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Verse four, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So what we're saying is even though God, people who claim to represent God are doing wrong in the sight of others, you don't blame God for their wrongdoing. You let God be God. Okay. Well, that's what Paul means when he says in verse three, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? No, God is going to always be faithful and holy. So that's why us ministers, we have a tough job. When people are on social media with this huge platform misrepresenting God, we have to call them out because there are people who don't know God and they think that this is God. When they see the behaviors of some of these people, that's why I call out Trump. He ain't no child of God. He doesn't know God. He falls under the bracket of evil. Spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where he falls under. So us ministers have to come out. And I am not the only minister who came out and spoke against this. We were able to get this false teacher whose ministry is on YouTube thrown off of YouTube because he was helping to incite that insurrection. He was saying, yes, it is God's will for you to go and overthrow the government so that Trump may remain in office for four more years. God told me Trump was going to be in office for eight years. What God are you talking about? Cause you ain't talking about the God of Jesus. No, us ministers have to stand up and call out unrighteousness. We have to stand up and call out evil when you try to associate it with God. And I'm not going to stop because mm -mm, my heart is right. I love every man. But when you misrepresent God and I know there are people out there who need to be saved and they are looking at you, they're trying to find the true and living God. And you claim to have the true and living God in your behavior. You are uh, look, supporting evil and supporting this kind of behavior. No, they'll never come to the true and living God if you are the only person they have to look at. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Verse four again, not at all. Let God be true in every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. You have to be living righteously in order for you to judge someone else's behavior. Absolutely. Verse five. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Verse six, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Verse seven, someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory. Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Verse eight. Why not say as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Don't you equate evil with good. You need to know the difference between good and evil. Okay. Their condemnation is just those who says, let us do, uh, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just, it's justified. For them to be condemned. Verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We are all under the power of sin. None of us are exempt from falling to sin. Okay. Verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. We're talking about these pagan worshipers. These, these people who hate God. Verse 13. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. 
verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Mm -hmm. Verse 16, ruin and misery mock their ways. Verse 17, and the way of peace, they do not know. They don't know the way of peace. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. None. That's why they had no fear in trying to overthrow the government being led by Satan, which was a task they could not complete. Okay. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable, accountable to God. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Let me read that again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That's for those of you who are trying to establish righteousness by following the Mosaic law. You cannot be declared righteous under the law. The law tells you the difference between what is right and wrong and what is good and evil. That's it. And it was temporary until the Messiah came trying to establish some order, not to establish righteousness. Okay. Rather through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law tells you what sin is. That's it. You can't be saved by it. Verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Here we go into some spiritual, some spiritual food here. That's going to fill you up to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. That is how we are declared righteous in the sight of God to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile or Jew and Greek. There's no difference between the Jews and us. Verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. However, it's worded in your Bible. That is how we are declared righteous in the sight of God today. God accepts the righteousness that Christ did on the cross. Christ kept the entire law so we don't have to. We never even had to be given the law because those who are in Christ, verse 24 again, hallelujah, and all are justified freely by his grace. His grace is Christ through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, though, I'm sorry, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, meaning you have to believe in the finished works of Christ to be declared righteous in the sight of God. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's why a lot of those people lived. He left their sins unpunished because he knew the righteous one was coming. He knew the atonement was coming. The only atonement that he would accept for our sins is the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You can't be saved outside of Christ. You can try to keep all 536 laws all you want, which is impossible. Like Peter said, we couldn't keep it and our fathers couldn't keep it. So why are you trying to bestow the laws on the Gentiles? We still have people today, and I'm talking about who claim to be Christians, who, who claim to be Christ-like, trying to keep the Sabbath day. Yes, the Sabbath day that was given to Jews, Hispanic people, you're not Jews, colored people, you're not Jews, Caucasian people, you are not Jews. Why are you trying to keep the Sabbath day? That was under the law given to Jewish people. It was given to the children of Israel. It was not given to your Gentile self in America. America didn't exist back then. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? We're talking about bragging. 
Okay, where is bragging? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. We are living under the faith law right now. That faith is in Christ. And if your faith is in something else to be saved, you ain't saved. You're not saved. It still baffles me how you can skip Christ with all of this grace. Everything you have ever done in your past is forgiven under the blood of Jesus once you have faith in what Christ did on that cross. Verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says we maintain that. We're not changing from that. That a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of course, Gentiles too. Verse 30. Since there is only one God. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. The circumcised are the Jews and the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. Us. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Don't forget the law tells you the difference between what's right and wrong. Chapter 4. Are you still with me, saints? Verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. <laughs> Verse 3, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness, just like Abraham believed God back in the circumcision day. And it was accredited to him for righteousness because Abraham had sinned, too. But God forgave him because he believed God and God forgives us because we believe what he did through his son, Jesus, the works on the cross, dying on that cross, taking every punishment you and I deserve because of our sins. He took it for us. All we have to do is to believe it to be justified by God or in God's sight. That's all we have to do. Verse four. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Do you hear this? What he's saying is when you go to work and you receive your check, your check ain't a gift because you worked for, for those wages. Verse five. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Hallelujah. Verse six, King David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse seven, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Don't forget, David was under the Mosaic law too. That is what the Ark of the Covenant of, of God was. It was based on the Mosaic laws. That is what was in the Ark. Uh-huh. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is the, the laws of Moses. Verse 8. Blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord will never count against them. That's those who are in Christ. Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for circumcised? Talking about Jews. Or also for the uncircumcised, talking about us. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Verse 11, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. God had declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. He believed everything God told him before he was circumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. Abraham is our father too, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Verse 12, and he is then also the father of the circumcised, the Jews, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
Verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Verse 15, because the law brings wrath, condemnation and judgment comes with the law. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, we're not under the law. So we, we don't want, want, I don't want to make Paul sound like, you know, because you are under grace, you can do whatever you want because he's going to fix that. No, what he is saying is, if you walk past your neighbor's door backwards, you can't be charged with a crime because ain't no law against walking past your neighbor's door backwards. That's what he is saying. Verse 16, therefore, the promise comes by faith. The promise of what? Righteousness. The promise of salvation comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since Abraham was old up in age, he was about 100 years old, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now, what was the promise? Hmm. He was strengthened in his faith through nearly 10 years of waiting for fulfillment of a seemingly impossible promise. Abraham's faith, rather than growing weak, grew stronger while he continued to give glory. He believed that God was going to give him and his wife, Sarah, a child. Okay. Now, let me read 20 again. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. See, that's what we got to do. We have to believe God no matter what the situation is, no matter how it looks, no matter how many people you think are against you. You have to believe that you have the victory through Christ and you will have the victory through through Christ. It doesn't matter the evils you face on the job. Put your faith in God. Put your situation in his hand. Don't you interfere and watch how God works it out. You have to believe God, people. In this case, we're talking about believing in the finished works of Jesus Christ on that cross. And for those of you who are non-believers who are listening to this message, you need to accept Christ today in order for you to have a reconciliation with God. Okay. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone. Verse 24, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Now to believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead is to believe directly in God. But you can't get to God unless you believe what Jesus did on that cross and when he was resurrected. But you have to believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, not a God made by hands of men. Verse 25, he was delivered over to death. Talking about Jesus. Now, if this don't make you accept Christ, something wrong with you. He, meaning Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. So saints, I want to stop here. That was the end of chapter four. I know it's getting good and it gets much better. Uh, We will continue next Saturday where we will cover chapters five, six, seven, eight, and possibly nine. 
uh, Romans only have 16 chapters, so it won't take that long to finish this very important series. So I want you to continue to pray for peace, continue to pray daily for a hedge of protection over you and your family and your friends and other loved ones. We are living in perilous times. Continue to pray for your friends who are non-believers. Pray for their salvation because God's ultimate plan was for every man, no matter what ethnicity you were born in, to be reconciled and unified in Christ. So the problem is, People have stopped preaching the gospel. We have to bring people to Christ so that we can become sisters and brothers to whatever ethnicity exists. All men, and I'm talking about all men, were created equal by the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. But you are only justified and you can only become a son of God or a child of God through the blood-bought covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So until next time, continue to walk with Jesus. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Now until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.